Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the helm and as 2020 hurtles towards its inevitable and merciful end. Just a couple of weeks of the year left. I'm sure most of us won't be sad to see the back of it, though it would be foolish to think that we're going to wake up on January 1 in a different space-time continuum. Among the ongoing issues to be dealt with next year will be one of our pet topics here at Good Good, public golf and the increasing pressure it's under from competing interests. That's what we'll be discussing today when a member of one of Australia's most successful public courses joins us to chat about the future of Moore Park in Sydney. Lucy Quilliam in just a moment, but first, let me bring in my co-host Adrian Logue, who I must say looks to be well along the road to winding down for the year. Adrian, looking forward to the chat today with Lucy, another episode which you get full credit for having organised the whole thing. Uh, thank you, Rod. Yeah, it's very small amount of credit, just a couple of direct messages and that's that's it but and yeah. a round of golf i understand that's yeah lucy and i had a quick nine holes at moore park one day which she uh, flogged you didn't she <laughs> lucy flogged everybody that day. <laughs> she was <laughs> sensational which we'll get into let's meet lucy now lucy is a scratch marker who has played at moore park for the last five years she eased her way around that home course in a snappy was a four under 66 like yeah just an easy just a 66. comfortable four under left a few out there left a couple out there could have been better Ah, uh, lovely that what you played with Logue last week. For those who don't know, there's been a proposal put by the Sydney City Council to cut the Moore Park course from 18 holes to just nine in order to create green space for a booming nearby residential area. Now, that plan's obviously caused some consternation at the club, and Lucy's here to tell us a bit about the story from a member's perspective. Lucy, welcome. Thanks for taking the time. Nice round last week, it must be said. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think I was showing off in front of um, Adrian and we also played with Warren Smith. Um, it, it doesn't happen very often, so uh, it was good to do it in front of a, an appreciative the audience. C- the celebrity group, one genuine celebrity and Logue. Well, <laughs> well, that's right. the, uh, famous rugby league commentator and an, for anyone who didn't know, an avid, avid golfer and a golf course architecture yep. nut. Very Warren keen golf, probably listening to this podcast as well. be listening to... The podcast, Lucy, I kind of outlined it briefly there. There's obviously plenty to this story, and this push has been on for quite a while about more park, creating more open green space, because let's not forget golf courses are green space, more open green space for that booming residential area across the road there from Moore Park. How's the news been sort of received amongst the members, and is it a topic of conversation regularly, and has it been for the last few years? Yeah, um, it's it's just really disappointing. Uh, they keep on coming after Moore Park because I think it's an easy target because it because of its proximity to uh, the new residential developments in Sydney. Uh, they came after us three years ago, uh, which is when the uh, 2040 plan was agreed. And within that plan, it was agreed to uh, maintain Moore Park as an 18-hole golf course. Unfortunately, with the elections coming up at the end of next year, that agreement seems to have been forgotten. And uh, the City of Sydney Council and our Lord Mayor are coming after us again. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to have been much due diligence done in understanding the golf course uh, that is Moore Park and also golf as a sport and what it means to the community uh, and its accessibility uh, to people. We're being portrayed as an elitist uh, game that is played by rich, white, old men, which I assure you, particularly at Moore Park, is not the case. 
it's very easy to find examples, though, of rich white men who play golf, isn't it? And it's the, it's the image that non-golfers, frankly, have. So it's, uh, Exactly right. And that, that's the problem. And so we're trying hard at the moment to re-educate people so that they understand that Moore Park is a public access course that is affordable. Uh, the public actually play on it the majority of time. Uh, the club has access uh, for competitions on a Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. The rest of the time it is open uh, to the public to utilise it. And it at the moment, particularly with COVID, we're up by, it's projecting sort of nearly 20,000 extra rounds this year. The place is packed and golf has seen a real resurgence with COVID because people, you know, are able to play. Unfortunately, people have been furloughed, haven't been working or working from home and have a bit more flexibility. Uh, and golf has, has become popular again. There's a real irony, isn't there, that the game hasn't been healthier in this country for the best part of two or three decades at the same time as we've got this push to close public access facilities. It's, <laughs> if you've been part of golf the whole time, you can see how it's unfolded. But if you were just to take a snapshot in time, you say, how does this make any sense? It's mm. never been so popular. How do you do that re-education, Lucy? How do, how well, do you go about we're- that? We're doing things like this <laughs> and um, getting out into the media and uh, trying to also show that uh, some of the things that have been said in the proposal by the City of Sydney and the Lord Mayor are just factually incorrect. And I hate hate to use the phrase fake news, but there are just things that are blatantly wrong. Um, and it, it, it is very irritating that uh, they are happily using the these facts um, that, are, that are wrong. Um, for example, saying that there are 31 million uh, visits, visitors to Centennial Parklands to demonstrate that there is demand for open green space. That 31 million is actually uh, individual visits. It could be somebody walking across the park to go to work mm-hmm. and coming back across the park is counted as two. Um, anybody that goes to a concert at the Horden Pavilion, anybody that goes to the footy, uh, anybody playing golf is counted in that 31 million. But they are portraying it that it's it's 31 visitors to Centennial Parklands. It's, it's if that was the case, mm. it would be hundreds of thousands of people a day. <laughs> you'd have to have, you'd have to have crowd control. Uh, it just and <laughs> it's golf, just not the case. The golf course would already have been overrun, wouldn't it? <laughs> just absolutely, by absolutely. Yeah. It's, re- it's remarkable. Politically, having to it, that would be akin to Moore Park claiming that sixty thousand different people use the golf course every year. That's not the case. They they, they quite rightly say there are sixty thousand rounds played, mm-hmm. but they don't claim that it's sixty thousand people. It's one of those. They're not quite definitively saying it, are they, Lucy? But all of the literature has this 31 million figure and it seeps in as though 31 million use it. You're quite right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unsavoury sort, of sort of a tactic. What sort of response do you get? Of course, I know you're sort of saying part of the way you re-educate do shows like this. The problem with this, of course, is we are speaking to the converted. Yeah. They're the mm-hmm. only people we're speaking to. Yep. How do we speak to other people? Well, we've been, um, we've had a few articles in the Daily Telegraph. Uh, we had a piece on Sky News this weekend. Uh, and of course, we are fortunately or very fortunate still to have supporters within the city of, uh, uh, Sydney City of Council. So uh, Dr. Karen Phelps, uh, Christine Forster and Craig Chung are real advocates for maintaining uh, Moore Park as a 18-hole golf course. Uh, so we're working with them uh, because 
look, this is a political gamble. Say that's right. So, it's a game know, most of us aren't um, familiar with, isn't it? And what's also interesting is that the city city council don't actually. They, they're not going to make the decision. They don't have the control no. over Moore Park, but it's they will go to um, the MP Rob Stokes uh, with their proposal, and then it is actually his decision. So we're trying to talk to um, people in federal government uh, who do have a say in this particular situation. Because Moore Park is run by a trust. The Sydney uh, Park Trust, yeah, Centennial Park, Centennial City Park Trust. Trust. That's yeah. exactly right, and they're responsible for the the parkland, the golf course, and everything that happens there. And as Lucy said, Adrian, three years ago, I thought this was all put to bed. There was a 2017 mm-hmm. plan that said the vision for 2040 sees Moore Park Golf Course remain as an 18 hole facility. I imagine the membership drew a sigh of relief when that plan was released, yeah, Lucy. Absolutely. I mean, this has been going on for 25 years. Yes. though. it was 25 years ago that. Um, Clovermore first came after us and it just feels like this this time around uh, she seems to be getting a bit more traction which is really concerning uh, and I think that is because there has been this massive jump in residential developments over in Zetland and ran there and so they're an unknown quantity because uh, Deputy, sorry, Mayor uh, Clover Moore doesn't know how they're going to vote, and we also don't know how many golfers are in amongst them all. So it's a case of targeting uh, that residential area to try and gain some support, uh, which is what she's also been doing. She's been very targeted in her approach, uh, and I live in the city of Sydney and see nothing come through my letterbox, which is interesting. But I live on the wrong side of the road. That's the trouble. <laughs> Fifty thousand dollars, I think they've put up the council yes. to yeah. to form this. To, to get this public feedback to uh, – what I was going to ask you, Adrian, was it's, an, it's an, a question that's impossible to answer. That's why I'm going to ask it to you. What do you think is driving it? You can't help but feel that there is something particularly about golf that Clover Moore finds offensive. Mm-hmm. That, that there's possibly some sort of anti-golf agenda there. It, it's, it's interesting because there are these prominent voices that tend to attack golf, and golf – just sort of kind of wants to be left alone but also as a consequence of that doesn't have these the advocacy group that is speaking up in favor of golf all the time uh although there's a lot of that to be fair there's a lot of that that happens behind the scenes that we we don't see you know there's representatives from golf australia involved in this people would criticize golf australia for like oh what are they doing well they're they're on the case with this stuff they're they're there speaking for golf to the right people as are golf New South Wales. Uh, but golf generally, I think, doesn't have a more more public-facing advocacy group. Um, and uh, that, that's something that perhaps we, we, could, uh, we could set about changing. And you, you mentioned before, we're speaking to the converted here. Uh, but I think it's important to get the message across to our audience and you know, the audience of golfers for whom it's obvious why Moore Park is so important. It's an incredibly influential course in Australian golf, and nobody listening to this podcast needs to be convinced of that. However, uh, the, the, the job of educating non-golfers why Moore Park is important is, is much more challenging, uh, because all they see is uh, the, these vision, like the, the sort of imagery that Clover Moore sets up, standing in front of a fence, 
with an empty paddock behind her, with an empty golf course behind her. And uh, those are very staged sort of shots, very contrived shots. Uh, but uh, And golfers know that instantly, but non-golfers, just they, they see the narrative that's being portrayed there. So, And we as golfers, I think, need to learn how to, you know, educate non-golfers. With, and, we and all have a role, don't we? Well, it's not, and it's not necessarily with statements like, it's just <laughs> golf has to be 18 holes or something like that. Things like that don't necessarily cut through. So uh, it's a part of the picture, but helping people to get to that understanding with us is, is the challenge. Mm. Is there an understanding from within, Lucy? It seems to me that the stakes here are much higher than Moore Park because you can't help but feel if this can happen to Moore Park, which is the best example you could imagine of a public facility. It makes money. It serves the community. It is constantly full. There are always people playing the course. It ticks every box imaginable that you would say, well, that is what makes a successful golf facility. So if it can happen to Moore Park, if it indeed does, you would be living in fear of every other public golf facility in the country, would you not? Is there an understanding about that at the Absolutely. club? Absolutely. Yeah, and the support that we are getting from other clubs has been amazing. Uh, it, it's really concerning because, as you say, Moore Park is a jewel in the sort of sporting crown uh, of the Moore Park uh, facility and Centennial Parklands uh, uh area and if that can be attacked and reduced to nine holes then what chance do other do other smaller clubs have now more park golf facility contributes a huge amount of money to the centennial parklands which then can be poured back into maintaining the other parks in in their portfolio and our concern as well as losing our club, is that if Moore Park is reduced to nine holes, the knock-on financial effect that will have for the rest of the facility. Because physically, if you cut it to nine holes, you can only get half the people on the course at any one time. That's just a you know mathematical fact. Maths, um, the, the other problem will be that people will not want to come and play nine holes because it's not a championship 18-hole course anymore. And so they will go elsewhere. So this isn't just a reduction of 50% of income. I think we're looking at more for the golf course of about 70%. And that's really concerning, which is one reason why I can't... I'm hoping that the Centennial Parkland Trust won't go for this this proposal is because they you know it comes down to dollars i think is is there a case lucy to be made for presenting options of our own where we demonstrate ways that the golf course can be not necessarily multi-uses uh, a poorly defined word i think but <laughs> slippery uh, slippery dips yeah uh, but uh d- demonstrating why like if this was a racetrack then non-racing people would assume oh there's no way you can go in there because there's just cars zooming around all day and just to, to jump the fence there is instant death you're just going to get run over by a car uh that that would be the assumption of non-racing people and it's probably correct and i think non-golfers think that 
there's just golfers flying around there all day long and there's balls flying everywhere and you just nobody can actually get through the golf course without risking life and limb that's that's the impression and therefore it's 18 holes or bust or like you know we we actually have to chop off a big part of it we have to Mm-hmm. You know, annex to a part of the golf course. Golf to use it. Is this yeah. an elaborate to, pitch to, for tea party? To get is that what you're doing here? That'll be part of it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, but you know, to get through the course or to have any access at all, you've got to annex a part of the course. There's this all or nothing false dichotomy. I feel like that gets set up. Whereas, again, I think if there's if there's a way to safely integrate walkers, dog walkers into the golf course, then we're not averse to that at all. It's it's the safety aspect of it. And it would have to, you know, obviously we'd have to involve people that are far cleverer than I am um, and understand uh, the flow through of golf courses uh, and things like that. But if we could educate our golfers that a walker has the right of way and they just have to wait for them to cross over a fairway or what have you, and we educate the people that want to come and use the course to not be wearing headphones so that if they get, you know, if somebody shouts for them, they know that they need to duck uh, and they respect the golf course, don't allow their dogs to go up and dig up the greens, things like that. We could we, we could live symbiotically within the community absolutely so and that's kind of what we thought the 20 uh, 2040 plan was going to do and there was the agreement that they were going to develop ways to have paths in amongst the course or around the perimeter of the course but nothing's happened in three years so maybe we should be going down that route of let's formally get together and work out a way to maintain the 18-hole championship course while still giving access to the public in a controlled and safe way. Yeah. I think we, as golfers, tend, or golf in general, tends to, if, it, if it's being left alone, we tend to just leave well enough alone. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're not proactively taking steps to demonstrate that were open to more community interaction on a golf course. Do you reckon golfers are broadly, Adrian? Uh, broadly not. I mean, like we're we're all pretty much consumed with, uh, you know, golf court, golf clubs, and a lot of golf courses are run by committees that are pretty busy with the con- going concerns of the club, just operating golf at the club, uh, and not thinking more of these long term things about securing the future of the club and its place in the community. So I can understand why people don't prioritise this sort of thing. If you're not being attacked, then you just just leave it alone. (laughs) Uh, So I can understand why that that happens. But for a place like Moore Park, I think it does need to sort of fortify its uh, defences by opening up in certain ways proactively uh, so that people understand that the course is more permeable than than they might otherwise perceive it to be, where it's not like a it's not like a racetrack where stepping onto it is instant death. <laughs> I feel like every time we see one of these stories, Lucy, I'm not sure whether you've got much of this within the club itself. Golf often does itself no favours by the reaction of golfers to these sorts of things. And we've seen some really crazy stuff being talked about at Northcote. I mean, people making silly comments on Twitter about you get an extra Stableford point if you hit a non-golfer. Now that's not helpful, but it does portray, does it not? do you think, the attitude of quite a, quite a significant percentage of the golf community, which simply says this is for golf 
and nothing else. And and that internal problem is a, is a is a not insignificant one, is it? The, the solution to that always exists, though. Sorry, Lucy, go ahead. But it, it's private clubs. You know that that form of golf will be there. I think so. And I Just think, and I can only speak, obviously speak for Moore Park mm-hmm. in that we probably have a a less rigid view on this be, because we are a public facility, so we are used to having opening up our doors to you know hundreds of thousands of people a year who are new to golf and so maybe don't know all the etiquette so sort of even as golfers we see we see stuff going on on the course that um if, if it was a private course you'd probably be politely asked to leave uh so we, we have a bit more uh of a tolerance for that and as a result i think we we probably would have a a more open view to a sort of combined blended approach to the public uh at large not just golfers but utilizing the space as well i think it it will come down to education because you know somebody being hit by a golf pool is a serious oh, you know, so. dangerous yeah, uh, thing hmm. and so it's you know we don't want people thinking they can come and set up a picnic in the middle of the fifth fairway on a saturday morning um it, it is going to have to be structured educated and find a way to to make it work for everybody if you know if we go down this route that's the thing and it's just at the moment as you said it it, it seems to be an all or nothing uh solution as far as the lord mayor is concerned uh but you know we, we, there, there's got to be a compromise well there, there kind of does doesn't there that's right i, I that's right. I get the sense from within golf, we've got work to do as well to bring golfers with us uh, as a part of that to just take some sort of creative solutions. Of course, people can't picnic in the fifth fairway on a Saturday morning. Where can they picnic, <laughs> well, Adrian? <laughs> funny, I should ask. That's a great segue, Rod. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, I, I, people, I actually do. I love this people idea who listen to the podcast yeah, all the time will, will have heard this before, but I, I do feel like the backs of many tees, not every tee, but the backs of tees. That are especially near boundary fences, and Moor Park has a couple which are ideal for this, where a little gate into the course could be created that takes you straight to the back of a tee where it's nice and flat and actually shady, and there's a bit of course furniture, and you could book a picnic area there. And uh, I, I reckon people from the club would use it from time to time, actually, just to see their friends coming through every seven minutes and, and laugh at them. But uh, it, what a great picnic spot! I think a lot of you know the backs of teas would be um, not not all teas, but some. no, 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 of course not. And and along those lines, though, just to extend the idea a bit further, Marrickville Golf Club here in Sydney recently had a bit of a win with uh, fighting off being chopped down to nine holes as well. Uh, but Marrickville is a club that had been doing quite a lot of proactive community engagement, and there's. There's a lot of interaction between non-golfers and golfers at Marrickville just because the golf course winds its way through that suburb so much. But uh, one of the things they did is they closed the first fairway to golf after 4pm, I think it is. Not every day. It's, it, I think they started doing that on Saturdays. But the first fairway is closed to golf after 4pm. It's just a dog park. And uh, that, that's the sort of idea, I think, which 
approaches the problem from a different angle. It's not all about space and the area, the perimeter. It's not all about the perimeter. There's the time vector as well because golf courses aren't utilised all day long. Uh, We know that the first few holes aren't necessarily going to be used towards the end of the day. And we also know that the last few holes aren't going to be used at the start of the day. day. And, you know, Moore Park has actually a couple of paddocks that fit quite well with this, the 16th and 17th. I'm I'm just giving away holes here, Lucy, so. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the 16th and 17th at Moore Park are actually on their own sort of isolated paddock. And uh, there's there's a fence around there, and it's right on the perimeter of the course. And you could you know have a gate that goes in. You probably have to think about fencing off the green just to like as a visual signal to people that you know don't just rope off the green or something. Just don't walk on the green during these times. But up until nine a.m., why not allow people onto that part Tai-chi, of the golf course? Personal training. Dog walking is always contentious. Dog walking because yeah. the dogs aren't the problem. It's generally the people with the when you have issues with dogs. But yeah, yeah, it seems to me, Lucy, a bit of creative thinking on the part of golf administrators would, could go a long way here. I, I would imagine even Clover Moore would find it difficult to argue with what Adrian's putting forward there as a sensible compromise and opening up and sharing of the space. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think also we do need to just have a conversation about that Moore Park Golf Course makes up a very small percentage of Centennial Parklands and the other open green spaces in that area. And it, it's almost a shame, well, it is a shame that there are other areas that could also be utilised And so should they be looking at uh, the areas around, for example, Kippax Lake and regenerating um, those areas into open space, picnic areas, et cetera, et cetera, that can be used as well. So, um, yeah, you know, absolutely, I agree that we could be looking at a compromise as far as the golf course is concerned, but it's... The golf course isn't in isolation. It is surrounded by mm-hmm. parkland mm-hmm. that is underutilised at yeah, the moment. It's very much a part so, of it. You could even make the case, Lucy, let's be honest, that much more of Centennial Parkland area could be turned into golf course with the demand that more park already services. <laughs> that you could probably make a financial case that another nine or 18 holes wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea. What golfer hasn't walked around Centennial Park and, and, thought, and thought about <laughs> the golf courses that you could create? It's There's some fantastic holes out there. Yeah, let's get on the front there. foot. Let's yeah. take it all. <laughs> get, on the, get on the front foot. You touched on something earlier that I did want to delve into a little bit more, and that's the financial side of this, Lucy, because it dawned on me. It's not the most important. I don't think it's the most important aspect of this discussion, but it is a very real one, isn't it? You both decrease revenue if you halve the size of the golf course, which will be to the detriment not just of the club, but of the state's coffers as well. But you also increase cost because you're now maintaining what was nine holes of golf course. The government is going to have to pay for that maintenance that was formerly paid for by the golf course. So it's a double lose, isn't it? Is that talked about much within the club or amongst the membership. I don't think it's the most compelling argument, but it's certainly a factor. If you're a ratepayer in Sydney City and a taxpayer in New South Wales, hard to see how that's a sensible use of funds. Absolutely. I think within the club, it's something that we're aware of, but it's it's something that as a board we are pushing and trying to highlight 
to the decision makers because that's what they're going to be looking at is the financial aspect of it. For for the day-to-day golfer, they're more concerned about losing their championship golf course. Uh, But for the people that actually run the place, that has to be a a consideration, a massive consideration Mm. for them. Mm. Well, I mean, you're effectively taking a successful business and deliberately uh, making it less successful. Absolutely. And I mean, we also have uh, discussions at the moment that uh, they want to put a sort of short form uh, version of sort of putt-putt into the facility, which, as again, as a club, we fully support uh, as long as it's in a, a sensible location. And from a golfer's perspective, I think it, it would be a brilliant thing because uh, that can then be a, a further gateway to the game with families coming and playing putt-putt with, you know, little kids can play it and everything like that. They then graduate up to going to the driving range, having lessons and then looking to play on the full 18 holes. So it's a really good sort of narrative of going from putt-putt to driving range to golf course. And if we had that as a facility, uh, it really would be something that people from far and wide would visit. But I think it would be tarnished if it was only a nine-hole golf course. Mm. You could you could be part of giving the gift of lifelong misery to thousands, <laughs> we see, with the odd smattering of joy mm-hmm. in between to make it all <laughs> Exactly <work>. right. <laughs> Hello, good people of the Good Good Podcast world. I hope you're enjoying our chat with Lucy Quilliam about the very big picture issue of public golf and its role in the game. However, don't be afraid. It's not all doom and gloom because I have some exciting news for you from our friends at thegolfsociety.com.au. Drum roll, please. Yes, I'm pleased to announce a 20% discount off all products at the Golf Society just for being a Talk and Golf listener. Now, how's that for news just ahead of Christmas? If you're not already familiar with the Golf Society, head over to the website, golfsociety.com.au, and check them out. They've got all the latest and biggest name brands in apparel and accessories from G4 and Puma Shoes to Travis Matthew and Peter Miller Apparel, among others. To get the discount, simply use the code TG at the checkout. That's the golfsociety.com.au and code TG at checkout to get 20% off. Now, back to Lucy Quilliam. Just on the, the putt-putt development, Lucy, people might not be aware, but, and again, it's another thing to be outraged about as, as golfers, but there, there's talk, isn't there, about actually replacing one of the holes with the putt-putt facility and then rebuilding a lesser hole somewhere else to retain 18 holes, but like actually replacing a hole with the putt-putt. An actual golf hole with a faux golf. And then, but the the irony of that is, though, Rod, is that there's an incredible amount of space which is probably more suitable to a putt-putt. You can almost, in in your head, imagine a putt-putt course on this big flat area that's out the front of Moore Park, uh, Mm. which is very accessible or very visible from the road and would be a much more sensible place from a business point of view to put a putt-putt course rather than hidden up on the golf course. Mm. It, it seems it seems crazy to, to do this, to lose a hole 
and have to rebuild a hole at huge expense <laughs> to, 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 yeah, rather exactly. than just put the putt putt where it's going to be much more financially successful. And there, there's a bunch of unused heritage buildings that would make it's a great little putt putt clubhouse there. Beautiful buildings down in there, and that's always contentious who gets to use those. I know there was plans for a golf museum there at one stage, which would have been fantastic, but the politics of it uh, is difficult. Which brings me to my next question, Lucy, and I wonder whether within the club there's. I mean, if you look ahead, this issue is not going away, is it? This is not going to be done and dusted in 2020, 21, 22, or 23. We've already seen the evidence. Three years ago, there was a plan formed and an agreement made to take us through to 2040. And three years later, uh, it's already under attack, for want of a better term. That's far too <laughs> far too colourful language when you're talking about a first world issue like golf. But is there an understanding with that from that within the club? I'm not sure golfers generally get that or understand that this is going to be an ever-present issue, isn't it? Absolutely. For, not just for more Park. No, I think right. for clubs everywhere. And it comes down to us demonstrating that there is the demand that we provide a service to the community that many thousands of, or hundreds of thousands of people every year want to utilise and that that that's going to come down to the golfing community to make the sport more accessible and more available to anybody and everybody and that was you know 107 years ago that that was how moor park golf course was formed mm. because it was it was formed to allow the working classes to play what this elitist game is meant to be um and more park has maintained that ethos for the last century and we need to continue doing that uh not just as i say not just at more park but other clubs have to realize that land is at an absolute premium uh particularly in and around the cities and so we have to de- demonstrate the benefit that golf can provide to the community in order to survive. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just talking, you know, it, well, yeah, I am talking that it's, it's a, a game that can be played by a four-year-old up to a 94-year-old. So the, the handicapping system allows people of all ages and abilities to be competitive so there's not many other sports that that fall into that category. Uh, it's you know, the RNA did a great study on the mental health benefits. Now most people think you're absolutely crazy for playing golf because it's <laughs> such a punish sometimes, but it actually does allow uh, have you know proven mental health uh, benefits. And people that you know have had to hang up their rugby boots or their football boots because of injury or, you know, just a, unfortunately old age, you can still carry on playing golf. And it's those sort of messages that we need to be getting out to, to the community that it's a great game to play. And it, it's an opportunity to spend ta- quality time with your friends that you haven't got your nose in a screen um, or your headphones on, and you actually are forced to talk to people and have conversations. And I mean, I, I love playing the game because you get to meet so many different people and have so many different interactions that 
it, it's just, you know, it's a great, I'm, I know we're preaching to the converted on this podcast, but um, it, it's educating people to, so that they understand, yeah, it's the most frustrating game in the world, but it is also completely addictive. Back, isn't it? <laughs> if it wasn't so frustrating, you'd probably, what did Tiger Woods say in his book? If we all shot 59 the first time out, you'd go, yeah, it was dull, and you'd go find another game that was mm-hmm. yeah. somewhat challenging. <laughs> Could you make the case, Adrian, I think about this often, and I was thinking about it while Lucy was talking then, that in fact of... Uh, the, the the bulk of sporting facilities that governments fund are really for a fairly narrow section of the demogra- of the population. Football fields, netball courts, tennis courts, for the most part, you're talking about people between the ages of eight or nine yep. up to their mid-30s, mid-40s maybe, you get a pretty steep fall off sort of then. And, in, and probably, I would suggest numerically, predominantly for blokes. Yep. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Golf isn't that, is it? No. And I feel like that makes its case as compellingly as anything. Unless you're just anti-sport, then of all the sports, to me, golf is the most democratic. I I tend to agree. Yeah, it's a game for everybody. Uh, And I think part of the attraction is the the wonderful environment that you play the the game in. The the playing fields that we have are very pretty. This was uh, driven home to me recently with the Northcote situation in Melbourne where people are walking all over Northcote which is you know that's fantastic you love to see that except the 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 slippery slope that that's gone down is oh well, now we want to have this all the time and no more golf there uh, which is which will be an ongoing battle there but uh, the reason why that comes about is because the golf course is it's just a nice place to be. Sandy and, Jamison often says, you, you see people who've never played golf, they walk on a fairway, they yeah. somewhere. this is amazing, this grass <laughs> is incredible and wonderful to walk on. That, that's right. And you compare that, like Lucy made the point that uh, Moore Park, actually, the golf course takes up quite a small area of the land. And in fact, even like directly around, all around the golf course, there's there's park, little pockets of parkland that people could be using, but they're actually pretty empty. Uh, one that comes to mind is that big. There's that big uh, grass slope and a, a disused AFL field, or very rarely used AFL field, over the back of the 16th. I think, isn't it, Lucy? That's right. Um, yeah. And there used to be grass, grass skiing. skiing I remember what, that. what happened to grass skiing? Let's it's bring- a fad, mate. Fad. Like <laughs> walking just- on Northcote Golf Course. It's Seem- a fad. Seems kind of dangerous, actually. Grass skiing. You could break a neck, I think. But uh, that that I look at that place and I think that's an incredibly unattractive place to walk. It looks dry and dusty and hot. And you look over the fence at the golf course and it's it's lovely and lush and shady. There's there's a lot, probably too many trees at Moore Park, but the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get one, into that. One step at a time. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> another story. <laughs> but the uh, the I think the point to be made with this is that golf courses are an important part of the urban environment. Um, you look at a map of any metropolitan area, and the green areas that are golf courses tend to be a permanent fixture over you know decades, even hundreds of years, and. Uh, one thing I feel is absolutely certain, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned the current council is oh, or the yes. current – it doesn't matter how well-intentioned they are. If you take away golf from land, uh, take away land from golf, that land will not be parkland. No, you're giving it, you're giving it to housing. Future. It's just a matter of It time. will be housing at some point in the future. Absolutely it, guaranteed it will be housing at some point in the future. Uh, so golf does help preserve a green space. Golf doesn't necessarily do a great job at 
biodiversity and a great improving ecology in that I think there there is a will to improve that and that, that's another part of this and I think it's another angle to the argument that uh, and and it's I think it's an argument that would resonate with a reasoned person on the other side of the table is look I know you're well intentioned but mm-hmm. you know you're going to be out of office in 10 years time or 20 years time 50 years time somebody else is going to build houses there golf courses prevent that and if you if you're at all if you're not certain about that look on the other side of Cleveland Street yeah, <laughs> just look across the other side. Is it, it is Cleveland Street, isn't it? Yeah. Is it Cleveland Street? Yeah. That and look at the, the and South Dallas. There's the South. concern. I think you know, taking it one step further, Adrian. I think you're you're exactly right because the problem will be is if we lose the nine holes, and then there's the remaining nine holes struggles financially mm-hmm. because we've lost the That's other right. nine holes. Why are we subsidising this? The <laughs> argument to redevelop that green space is just going to be there because it's not going to be financially viable anymore. And that's the concern. Um, oh, sorry. Um, that That's a big concern in that um, it's just going to, there's going to be the knock-on effect and further down the line, the argument to reclaim the land for development is going to be easier to make. Which is all going to happen regardless. I mean, whether you stay at 18 holes or whether it goes tonight, that pressure is only going to be increasing. And, and so part of the argument on the space. is never to make the remaining nine holes better. It's always just, you know, make do with what you've got there. It's Yeah, this is this is Clates's. Yeah, it? It's like, yeah. okay, if, you, if you've decided you're taking nine holes, then you have a, responsi- a responsibility to make the remaining nine holes world class or as close to as you possibly can on whatever the land it is that they yeah. sit on. And, you know, let's hope it, it doesn't come to that. Yeah. But the, it, it goes – it does speak to the uh, – again, back to this influence of more park in, in Australian golf is that it's many golfers' first experience of a really good golf course. And, uh, and a lot of people who are – Golfers who moved to Sydney for the first time who were, like, gagging for a game of golf. Moore oh. Park is an opportunity mm. to, to play a really good course. Oh, and, I mean, just the numbers just bear this out. Every yeah. little way you look at it, there's, uh, you know, it's just very influential. The other facet, which is not completely, not, not miles away from what we were just discussing with the, you know, the narrowness of other sporting fields, it also seems, Lucy, and you could probably give us an idea of what sort of age demographics we're talking here, if you remove public golf, and one of the things Clover Moore says, well, there's 12 other golf courses within a certain amount of kilometres. Well, I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm sure there's a certain number of parks within 12 kilometres or whatever the, the distance is. If you remove nine holes of Moore Park, you remove the opportunity, you take away the opportunity for a number of people to actually experience the game for no good reason, it seems to me. Because yeah, and I will correct you on that's, – that's another of um, Clover's uh, – Claims that is actually incorrect with the twelve courses. Hashtag Clover's claims. Yeah, she she claims there's twelve public courses within ten kilometres of the CBD. Uh, Actually, we're the only one um, that is within ten kilometres. The other there's a couple uh, which is Bondi and uh, Willara are nine holes. Uh, East Lakes is outside of that ten kilometre, as is the coast, and the other. Uh, however many six I think it is uh, courses are actually private courses right, yeah. that you can't get on unless you're invited by a member so we are actually the 
closest CBD and pretty much the only uh, public access golf course within 10 kilometers of the CBD, not 12. So and <laughs> there's, there's that to talk about. <laughs> and it's one thing that Sydney golf has over Melbourne golf is that our our sort of premier public facility, Moore Park, is way better than Melbourne's Albert premier Park. Albert oh. Park. Way better. Yeah, take that, Melbourne. In your face, yeah. Melbourne. <laughs> Albert Park got saved. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's fantastic. But yeah. Moore Park, uh, I, I feel like, is incredibly significant for Australian golf, not just Sydney. Yeah. I guess you probably alluded to it before, Lucy, with the quite often beginners on the course. But just that opportunity to experience the game. Because it seems to me, whilst you get ready agreement from most people that you know children should have the opportunity to try all sports, golf is never one of the ones that's thought about. You know, they should be allowed to try soccer and rugby league and cricket and tennis and all that sort of things. Golf's not less important than those sports. It's not more important, but it's not less important, is it? No, and I think it's as as we spoke about earlier. It's a game that can be played throughout somebody's life, uh, and certainly the younger they start, it's always going to give them a head start at being very good at that game. But that you know that that's the same for any sport. But there are wonderful programs at Moore Park that particularly in sort of summer uh, school holidays are are completely uh, oversubscribed uh, with kids playing and learning the game. And we have a really good sort of flow through process where kids come to these um, school holiday uh, um, lessons and then they can graduate up to become joining the club and we have a wonderful junior program within Moorpark Golf Club which really helps to develop their skills and their game they get the opportunity to play in junior pennants and we we've had uh three or four very very good juniors that then have graduated up we've got one who uh has is now at uh hawaii university university of hawaii on a golf scholarship and of course um and i always get her surname wrong so apologies in advance um steph yeah kiriaku there we go um she's just one she's began as a member at moore park and she's just won the european tour rookie of the year so we, you know, we have some good pedigree coming out of our club as well. Um, and that's from juniors that started uh, at the ages of sort of eight and nine and have graduated all the way up through the ranks um, that, yeah, a lot of people don't realise that there is this opportunity. Steph, of course, only just turned 20. She could probably still have been playing junior pennant for mm-hmm. you up until just a year or two ago, <laughs> yeah. should you have decided oh, what an extraordinary talk, talent. Talk about is. junior pennant. All the clubs around, all the private clubs around Moorpark still, oh, still all be, the juniors. they mining uh, the ranks at Moorpark, well, I'm sure. They sure do. But it's actually yes, a do. role. <laughs> it's a role but that But we don't Moorpark mind that. Adds. We don't mind yeah. that. You know, gosh, if, if, if there's somebody with some real talent that then gets taken on by one of the private clubs that has probably the slightly better resources and practice facilities than we do then we we encourage that because it could because of the opportunity that then you know they can get an education they they go on a golf scholarship to the u.s and things like that so why would we deny them that opportunity why more park for you lucy why did you choose more park you would imagine as a very good question um look there's a number of reasons 
I work full time. And back in 1985, they were, Moorpark was very, very progressive in its approach and uh, completely integrated men and women as members. Oh, good Lord, shut it women, down, Lucy. W- w- <laughs> shut the place <laughs> down. Women weren't, weren't seen as associates or anything like that. Sorry, ni- 1996, I apologise. Um, and so that means that we can play in all the competitions on each of the days if we wanted to. Now, I work full time, so it was important from a sort of stacking up as a financial uh, idea was that I needed to be able to play on a Saturday and Sunday to make it financially viable for me. Um, The other reason is that Moorpark doesn't have a massive hundreds, well not hundreds, but sort of uh, tens of thousands of dollars joining fee, which a number of the uh, private clubs unfortunately do have so it was affordable for me i also don't own a car which i'm sure lord mayor would be very happy to hear about um i live walking distance from the club and so that makes it easy for me to get over there and play so there were yeah a, a number of reasons why i joined um but predominantly was the fact that they we are an equal opportunities club and the women can play uh, on a on a weekend, and that makes it it viable for me. Added to the fact they we have a um, major pennants team that I can represent the club in. Uh, Moorpark Golf Club invests heavily in our representative golf teams, and so it gives everybody a real opportunity to play other courses, play against teams um, throughout the metropolitan area. And that that when you start getting you know serious about your golf, that's a really good thing to have um, uh, uh, available to you. So there were there were a number of factors, um, but it was it was just the yeah the integration of the women into the club that you didn't feel like a second class citizen. Um, and the world didn't end. When more no, back, did it? it's surprising oh, how we, we, we get on so well yeah. when we play together. <laughs> You've clearly embraced it beyond just being a member at the club, though, Lucy. You're talking to us. You're clearly very active. You're Lu- Lucy's well a truly- golf nut, right? Yeah, well, I can attest yeah, to yeah, having, yeah. having met it, her. It's one thing to be a golf She's nut, a it's very, another to be as invested in your own club as Lucy's. I don't think that's – so So what's that about, Lucy? Is that just the way you're wired? Would you be the same if you were a member at a different club? Or is there something about Park? Look, I, I think I think it was very much I could see that I could add benefit by becoming involved in, for example, the course committee, and then that progressed into being a board member. And it's very easy to sit around having your beer after your round, bemoaning what's wrong with the course and how Half the club the could be it, better Lucy, run. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's <laughs> the you know, fun we've of all it. been there. But I'm I, I guess I, yeah, it could be you could say it's how I'm wired, is that it's it's all well and good have moaning or having an opinion, but actually stand up and do something about it and get involved. Um, because then you can actually start making a difference um, and try to fix the things that you believe are are wrong with the course or or how how it's being run so that's that's kind of um where where i was coming from and you know moorpark is a is the setup there is a very different one to a normal 
private golf club in that the club is there's three different entities who have a a deciding um say in how the facility is run and that's the centennial parkland trust club links who runs the um runs the golf shop and the driving range and Moorpark golf club and then we also have the caterers on top of that so it's 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 a really interesting dynamic and working together with the the different entities to make it a successful precinct was something that I found really interesting. And so that's why I wanted to get involved um, and working closely with those guys to ensure that not just the public, but also our membership receive a, a good uh, quality experience whenever they turn up to play. Well, managing all of that, you're primed for a political career aren't you <laughs> to climb into politics that can't be easy with all of those different forces around the place what's your outlook lucy is it optimistic do you think as i think we've established this is not going to go away golf is going to keep needing to make this case and more park probably specifically will continue to keep needing to make its case are you optimistic in the longer term look i'm hoping with this particular attack um i'm hoping that sense will prevail and people will understand that Moore Park provides a very valuable service to the city of Sydney community that will be deeply, deeply affected if it gets cut to nine holes. And I think if people understand that reality, uh, that the financial devastation it will cause to the precinct um, that hopefully, as I say, sense will prevail. It is then up to us as a club, as a uh, golfing community, not to rest on our laurels because, as you say, this isn't going away. And so it's looking at how we can work with the community to uh, to encourage people to come and play golf, to make it even more affordable for people, to share the green space um, in a safe and um, clever way. And these are all things that we, we need to be looking at now because uh, it's important that golf survives as a sport. And unfortunately, I think, as we said earlier, if Moore Park gets cut in half, then where does it stop? You There's can, just going to be horses, I can think, unfortunately, hear it, falling like flies. Yeah. You can almost hear it, can't you, Lucy, at councils around Australia? Well, more, oh, if they... Rubbing their hands together. Exactly. More, more, if Moore Park sign. couldn't survive it, then <laughs> surely our little course... I can, I can never help thinking about Hurlston Park, Adrian, that they just shuttered one day. They made an announcement on the Hudson website. Park. Hudson Park, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and you went... You go there and it's surrounded by flats. There was no battle or anything. No, no, they just closed it. They bang. announced it on the website and that was it. Who knows how many kids live in that area that that opportunity has just been mm. completely removed from now. They'll exactly. never know. We will never yeah. know and they will never know and that's exactly. A and a part of this as well, just maybe as, as a final thought, is that there's, there's, using, there's golf being played on the golf course. There's ways of getting non-golfers onto the golf course to enjoy that space as well. Uh, which is part of the consideration here. But I think we also want a hell of a lot of those people playing a bit of golf. And um, another another way to do this or another thing to think about here is shorter forms of golf. Or, uh, you know, if Moore Park had the best set of higher clubs, like a, a massive range of fantastic higher clubs, 
you'd have a lot of people from the CBD just coming by and playing, you know, assuming the game differently. Three to or six holes or something or on their way home. Pay by the whole idea. That- pay by the whole, even you know, in your business shoes or something. Just you know, go and if you had a really good set. Adrian's of Adrian's not clubs. recommending that, by the way, legally. That's not a recommendation <laughs> from Adrian that you should play in business shoes. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> not advising. That's that. probably not going to work. But Park, it can't do any more than what it's doing. Get, can get it? more people playing yep. a little bit of golf, like without all of the ceremony of golf. Like there's so clubs. much ceremony of like six hours and the whole the whole thing of. Nothing wrong with meeting that. A lot of us before enjoy and that. after. I enjoy that. Yeah, right. absolutely. There's it, a market for that. It's just it's hard to break into the game if yeah. that's your introduction. Is all of that ceremony and the etiquette and the and the before and the after the round and all of that. Yeah, I think the thing Scotland does so well is it points to exactly what you're talking about there. The game's not foreign to people. You know that right to roam. Obviously, we don't have that. In most places in Scotland where you grew up, there is a local golf course that is simply just a part of the city's furniture, like parks. None of us feel badly towards parks where kids play because they're completely accessible and open. So even if you don't use them, you don't feel excluded. And it's the mistake golf has made outside of Scotland in so many ways where people feel excluded. And that's what that's what Clover Moore is playing on with this notion of a look over the fence and there's just three people there. Mm-hmm. It's a very simplistic and... It'd be different if it was, you know, some dog walkers, but one or two of those dog walkers had a wedge in their hand yeah. and they're just knocking a ball about. Like, you know, they're not actually carrying a full set of clubs, but they're yeah, they're the, just hitting a golf ball. It feels know. to me like the, the ultimate solution is going to be to share the space in some way, as you said creatively, Adrian, with times, and that will ensure that it remains. Because even... You know, no sensible person can argue against a space that is being used for more than just one purpose and that its main purpose is so successful. <laughs> you can't argue against it. It doesn't make well, it, any sense. And again, I, I put forward another proposal. Tea party. Yeah, uh, here's, an, here's another one. Uh, I don't know if I've said this one before on the podcast, but calling it more part common. <laughs> it's it's something I don't think we can pull off in Australia. Like in the UK, there are a lot of these these commons. commons. Yeah. Uh, but the golf courses that are on those commons were set up a little bit differently. Like they sprawl over the land quite a lot more and you could actually sort of wander between holes in the the bushland between holes, and you can't do that on Australian golf courses. They're all packed into very tight little properties. But suburban, yeah. So sort of unfortunately, I don't think that's the sort of thing we can achieve. But there are a couple of little ways to get through Moore Park. It's it is more permeable than it looks that like on a map. Sense. Yeah. So a bit uh, of sensibility, a bit of yeah. creativity, Lucy. It certainly sounds like amongst the membership, you guys are giving it your full concentration and the right way about it. It's not just, right, let's have a war and start throwing names at the other side. Let's think of sensible, pragmatic ways that we can actually turn this into maybe even a win-win, which would be fantastic. But well done to you and all the guys and all the team people there at Moore Park who are being part of it. And thanks for taking some time today. I nearly called you Julie about 400 times, I reckon. I had in my mind that your name was Julie for some reason this morning when I woke up. <laughs> And I've I managed, been called worse, so I don't ma- worry. <laughs> I think I managed to avoid it for the whole show, so good on me. That's a victory for me. But lovely to chat to you today. Thanks very much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you both. Uh, I really appreciate um, yeah, you giving me the opportunity to come and have a chat. It was um, good fun. Especially you. after what you did to Logan Warren Smith the other week, <laughs> <laughs> toweling them up the way you did. You're lucky to get an invite. No, it's been wonderful to chat. And Logan, always good to chat to you, mate. And good to see you getting the opportunity to push the Tea Party TM. Yep. Uh, again, yeah, so. trademark registered. Trademark. Have you registered it? Go on, do it.
What does it cost? No, I've got that. I've got I, domain, cost much. I've, I bought the domain names. Did you, <laughs> did you yeah. really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> good on you. That's it for episode 59 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. I think our second last for the week. We're just waiting to hear back from them. One last guest. We might do one more show before the end of the year. If we don't, we'll see you in the new year. If we do, we'll see you next week. Bye.